When I was in elementary school, I had a very tight group of friends. They were Tom, Brad, Joel, Chad, and Chris. Okay, Tom, Brad, Joel, Chad, and Chris. And we called ourselves the Basic Six. That was our name for ourselves because there were obviously six of us. Uh, Tom and I had been friends since kindergarten. Um, and then I met Brad and Joel when I was in first grade. They, were, they lived in the town that neighbored our town. And I happened to be on their soccer team in first grade. And so Tom, Brad and Joel and I became friends. And then they quickly moved to our town a year later. And so then Tom, Brad, Joel, and myself were the best buds. And then... Chris and Chad moved into our neighborhood in third and fourth grades, and the basic six had come to fruition, okay? It was complete. It was God's ordained will that we would be the greatest friend group of all time, and we were and still are. We were best buds. We all grew up together, and we still are all friends to this day. And, of course, I tell you all this because you all know that the first five minutes of every sermon don't matter at all. Nobody ever pays attention. It's just to warm you up. Um, seriously, though, this is my friend group. And um, so the story of my friends and I, with any good story, there has to be some kind of adversity, right? Something to test the friendship of the heroes, which the basic six are the heroes today. Um, so enter Kevin. And Ke- that is not his real name. I'm protecting his identity in case <laughs> he and I ever meet again. But Kevin came... Uh, to our neighborhood, I think I remember it being fifth grade, so we moved to our world in the fifth grade. And for some reason, Kevin pitted himself against me. He just had it out for me. I wonder if you had anybody like that in your life ever, that for some reason, uh, they're just set against you. At first, it seemed like he wanted to be my friend, and he wanted to be friends with all of us. But it became clear that he really, for some reason, it singled me out as his nemesis. And he wanted to take my place amongst our friend group, amongst the basic six. And I know we could have said, you know, oh, we'll go with seven. You know, seven's the number of perfection and all of that. But when you're dealing with friends, it's better to be even numbers so you can pair off with each other and nobody feels left out, you know. And, you know, the Magnificent Seven or Stupendous Seven, or none of that sounds as good as the Basic Six, so it just wasn't going to work, all right? <laughs> Kevin just wasn't going to be able to be part of the crowd. But um, anyhow, Kevin's, as you might have guessed, Kevin's true intentions came out on the playground, you know. This is where most uh, grade school conflicts occur, if you guys remember the playground, you know, recess. It's either there or the cafeteria. And uh, so it was on the playground at recess. And in those days, we basically played two games at recess. If it was nice out, we played soccer. We were always playing soccer. That's what we did. Or if it was kind of rainy and the field was muddy, uh, we would play Foursquare under the overhang. I don't know if you've ever played Foursquare. I'm not going to get into it right now, but it was a good game. And um, pretty much the whole year long, Kevin would try to kind of take my place with my friends in our games, whatever game we were playing. He would make comments comparing me with other players, you know, kind of criticizing me and saying I wasn't as good, um, which we all know can't be true. Um, (laughs) It probably was, but it doesn't matter. Um, 
he would try to recruit my buddies to come with him, you know, be the first one out on the playground and try to grab Tom, Brad, and Joel, and Chad, and Chris, you know, try to grab those guys and say, let's go play this. And, um, you know, he would try to exclude me. You know, we were, we were enemies, I think, or you could call us frenemies, I guess. But um, the plain fact is that I didn't really like the guy, all right? I didn't really like Kevin. And uh, thankfully, my friendships with my friends were strong enough that they weren't really under any threat. You know, I wasn't really worried that I was going to lose my friends. But it still hurt. You know, as a kid, you know, a fourth, fifth grader, I didn't really understand that it was out of jealousy that Kevin was doing this. He was behaving in this way. My mom would try to explain it to me, but it didn't matter when it came down on the playground. You know, you didn't, well, he's just being jealous. I'll be the bigger man and walk away. You know, that didn't happen on the playground. And um, to me, Kevin was just basically being a jerk. And I didn't like him for that. I didn't want to play with him, and I didn't want him to play with my friends. Right? I was not sad at all, actually, when he moved away before sixth grade, because he, he was only around for about a year. And uh, I thought, you know, good riddance. But... Um, I wish I could tell you that there's some sort of great story of reconciliation here that was going to happen, you know, that I met Kevin years later and we became best of friends. That didn't happen. None of that happened. I wish there was something redemptive about my relationship with Kevin, but there wasn't. It's just one of those contentious relationships that we have sometimes in life. He had set himself against me, and I didn't like that. Without saying it in precise terms... I essentially responded to his desire to make enemies with me with, okay then, we're enemies, you know? You want it, you got it, bud. Like, fine with me. And um, this is my, a common response to rejection and dismissal for me, okay? Um, but here, today, in the Nicene Creed and in our passages that we read today, we see something very different. We see Jesus lay down his life for his enemies. For us. Paul is very careful in our passage from Romans 5 to highlight that this was actually the true nature of our relationship with God. It was like me and Kevin on the playground. We were enemies. That's what Paul calls us. This was the result of our choices and our actions. We don't often think of ourselves this way, you know? We don't think of ourselves as enemies with God. We may admit that we're, we're not perfect. We're okay with that. Everybody seems to be all right with that. You know, we often use it as a defense, really, to bail ourselves out for when we screw up. You know, like, oh, well, hey, nobody's perfect. I know I messed up. You know, I didn't do it the right way. Uh, I wasn't perfect, but nobody's perfect. This is kind of the way we, we talk, or maybe you don't. It's uh, the way I talk. And... Um, but the problem is, you know, when you start thinking about it, we start to say, I start to think, you know, oh, it's really your unreasonable expectations. You have too high standards because I'm not perfect. I can't keep those things. You know, we don't usually like to think of our failures and our imperfection. It's not something that we like to do often. And we certainly don't like to think about them uh, in these terms that Paul puts them, that we're diametrically opposed to God, that we're his enemies. That's too severe. We want to think that God, you know, came to save us, that he loves us, because we're actually pretty lovable, right? That, you know, we've got problem areas, but we're not all that bad. You know, we're kind of like the, the lovable screw-up of the family. 
You know, uh, we can't get our lives together, sure, but, you know, we've got a good heart. And, you know, we mean well. You know, you guys don't have any lovable screw-ups in your families? <laughs> Apparently. Um, I was it. Anyhow, just kidding. Uh, we, this is where we go. You know, you may not think this consciously. You may, you may even think, I actually do have a pretty low view of myself generally. That might be possible. That might be true of you. But... I bet you when push comes to shove in your life, when someone tells you that you're not any good, my bet is that you get a little defensive, even if you have low self-esteem. You get a little defensive. You know, either verbally or internally, you defend yourself. You're like me when Kevin would say I was not good at soccer, okay? When he would say he's not a good soccer player. I would say, yes, I am, you know? Shut up. <laughs> you're not a good soccer player. And you're stupid. You know, I would, add that, I would add that one in there for good measure. This is what we do. It's what we do when we get judged by somebody else. You know, judging ourselves is one thing. But when other people start judging us, you know, I don't think so. That's too far. You know, we start to defend ourselves. Even if we could do better, we still argue that we're not that bad. But Paul doesn't give us that option here. If we just listen to the words that he uses in Romans 5 to describe us, he says that we are weak, that we're ungodly, that we're sinners, and we're enemies. Enemies. That's what we made ourselves, he's saying, when we set ourselves against God. You know, he made us to be in relationship with him. He made us to depend on him. He made us to love us and to care for us. And we said, no thanks. We said we'd we'd actually rather take your place, God. You know, we'd rather know everything that you know. We'd rather be independent rather than dependent. We'd rather be equal to you and be the lords of our own lives. We were like Kevin. Poor Kevin. Good thing I didn't use his real name. Uh, You know, this idea where he's determined to make himself an enemy with me. We were determined to make ourselves enemies with God. This is what we did. It's what sin is. It's a rejection and dismissal of God. And God would have been completely justified, for the record, to respond to Kevin the way that I responded to Kevin all the time, which is, you want to be my enemy? Fine. We're enemies. And to just respond in kind. He could have dismissed us right back and rejected us right back. And the difference would have been that he would actually, uh, would have been in the right to do so. You know, I always wasn't so righteous in my dismissal of Kevin, right? (laughs) I was uh, often quite mean. But God would have been justified in what we would call his wrath, that dismissiveness, that rejection. But he didn't do it that way. He didn't respond in kind. That's not what he's done. God didn't reject us. Rather, he made a promise. It's the first thing he does. He makes a promise to us that he's going to save us. That he's not going to leave us where we've gone. He's going to make it right. He would come after us. That's what our creed says today. We're... Walking through the creed, this series, 
In the first phrase, it says, for our sake. For our sake, Jesus came. Oftentimes when we talk about Jesus coming, we kind of say it like, oh, he did this even when we were enemies. You know, like, oh, man, he really put up with a lot. He did it even when we were enemies, kind of saying it that way. But I want to say it this way and emphasize it a different way. It's Jesus came because we were his enemies. He came because we had turned away. He came because we made ourselves enemies with him. He wanted us back. You know, he made us for himself and he was not going to let us turn and run away from him because he knew what that means for us. He knew what that would mean. It means total annihilation. Rejecting him, rejecting God, is rejecting life itself. That's what we've heard already in the creed, and we've seen it repeatedly throughout Scripture, that Jesus, God, the triune God, is the creator and the sustainer of all things. That life doesn't exist outside of him. And for us to turn our backs on him is to run headlong into death. And Jesus wanted us to live. God created us to be with him, to be free in him. And so he came to deal with the consequences of our sin. He came to take the result of our rejection of him. He came to suffer death. That's what we heard in Isaiah. It's what we heard in Romans. And it's what we read in Mark. That Jesus died for our sake. For our sake. He took the punishment and he took the wrath. Instead of, instead of being justified, instead of him being justified in his kind of rejection of us, saying, well, they turned their backs on me, that's their choice, so be it, we're enemies now. Jesus doesn't justify himself. Paul says that he justifies us. He comes and justifies us with his own blood. That's what he does. And it's not in some kind of generic way. Oftentimes we do this when we're talking about sin. And we like to kind of generalize it. You know, we want to make it kind of a generic, well, he forgave sin and that's good. And there's this way that we're kind of separating ourselves from what he did. And it's actually to our own detriment here. Because the truth is, Jesus came for our specific sin. Your specific sin. Generalizing it doesn't really get anywhere. You can talk about sin like, oh, the great sins of the world and, you know, the evil in the world. And that's fine. They're real. But in terms of your lives and when you experience it and what you know, it needs to be specific. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He has come for you, for your specific brokenness. He died for you. He died to forgive you. He has dealt with your sins. And he has taken them all from you. That's what we heard today. That he has covered us in his blood. He has reconciled us by his blood. He's justified us in his blood. Jesus has chosen you. You need to get specific with him. He's specific. And he wants you to hear it specifically for yourself. Because that's where it's good news. He came for you. He chose you. And the incredible thing about this is that all of this actually makes us lovable. Remember I was saying before, we like to think, oh, well, 
Jesus came for us because we're actually pretty lovable. You know, we're like a, a puppy that peed on the carpet again or something. Well, you, you're mad at it, but you're like, well, I can't stay mad at you, you sweet little thing. You know, we think of ourselves that way, but that's not how Paul presents us. He's presented us as enemies, as constantly out to get them, and not lovable. That's what Paul says, that we're enemies. But Jesus, because of his great love, because of who he is, because he's the God that made us in the first place, he's the God that makes new things out of nothing. He's the God that brings into existence things that did not exist because he came after us. It makes us lovable. It actually redefines us. This is one of the miracles of the cross. We are, his ob- we are the objects of his love, which then defines us as lovable. So the cross, at the cross, Jesus turns us from being his enemies into being his friends. At the cross, Jesus turns us from being sinners into being his brothers and sisters. This is what's happening. He's brought us back into right relationship with God. That's the good news. That's what Paul tells us. He's reconciled us. We are reconciled to God. We're back in right relationship. We're back uh, in that place that we ran from. He has made us God's own children. It's actually an even deeper relationship than the first one that God created with Adam and Eve. We're not just his created people. We're actually his family now. We're his children, his sons and daughters. It's because we were his enemies that Jesus came after us. He wouldn't let us stay there. He wanted us back. And he's made us alive and free. That's the promise of the cross. That's why, for our sake, he was crucified in a conscious pilot. He suffered death and was buried. It was to bring us back. It was to make us alive. To give us life instead of death. And to give us freedom in him. This is the good news for us today. This is the awesome testimony of the cross.